0: Literacy Conversations with Molly Rao and Jessica Rickert. Today our guest is Michelle Warner. She is our state coordinator for CCIRA and she was formerly our secretary as well. So welcome Michelle. Can you tell us a little bit about your educational background?
1: Sure. Um, Right now I'm in my 28th year of teaching. I have, um, when I graduated with my BA, we were still able to major in elementary ed so that's what my bachelor's is in is elementary ed um probably about 15 years ago I went back and got my reading specialist master's degree um and I have taught I've taught a little of everything I've taught head start I've taught kindergarten I've taught second grade I've taught um I was a literacy coach I was an intervention teacher I taught uh, uh students from UNC who were becoming teachers, and currently I'm a third grade teacher.
0: That is a wide range of experience. I didn't even know that. I'm very impressed. What happens when you've been teaching for 28 years. <laughs> yes, you get a lot of different hats on. Nice. You were kind of telling me earlier that you guys are using Jeff Anderson's pa- Patterns of Power and in Writing Instruction. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So right now we have gone remote. We went remote on the 17th of November. We are remote, hopefully only until January 5th. We find out next week if we are coming back to in-person learning or um, if we're going to stay out. So we got 13 weeks of learning in, in in-person, before we were forced to go remote. Um, And during that time, I taught my kids how to use many of the different platforms that we would be using So that when they did go remote, it would be more successful than what it was in the spring because spring was really hard because we didn't have that opportunity to teach kids how to use the different platforms. And so one of the platforms that we are using right now, one of the programs or the curriculum that we're using is Patterns of Power by um, Jeff Anderson and Whitney Whitney LaRocca. And we have them on um, flip charts that we have made on our Promethean board. And so I'm able to share those flip charts with my kids. And they are able to, um, the first day they do, what do you notice? And so they just notice things about whatever sentence I have up. And then we talk about the focus phrase. And after that, the next day I put up another sentence. that is very similar to the first sentence. And they talk about how are they the same and how are they different? Then on the third day, it's an invitation to imitate. So then they write a sentence that is very similar to the one that was their focus phrase. Um, And then on day four, they edit and revise. But throughout each of those times, I put them into breakout rooms so that they can work with a partner and do some academic discourse before they have to actually start writing. So I'm
2: wondering a little bit about your breakout rooms. Um, How are you thinking about partnering? Are you very strategic about that? Do you
1: do it randomly? Like what's your strategy? in terms of
2: using that collaboration?
1: So it depends. Sometimes it is very random and I let the breakout rooms decide who is going into each breakout room. And sometimes it is very strategic. It depends on what I'm using that breakout room for. If it's just academic discourse, I usually will put two native speakers together that are, um, so I have have five different languages that are spoken in my classroom. I have one little girl who speaks Chiringi, who is, n- speaks hardly any English. Luckily, I have another student who is very high that also speaks her home language. So those two are usually in a group together so that she can get that academic discourse and she can figure out what we're talking about. Um, I also will oftentimes put my, a low Spanish speaker with a higher Spanish speaker so that they can support each other that way as well. And then sometimes it's just random.
0: And just from a technical standpoint, how do you do those breakout rooms on Zoom?
1: So once I have put them into, whether it's manually or whether it's automatically generated, um, I can then jump in and join each of those breakout rooms. So I will pop in and out of breakout rooms as need be. I've also taught my kids that they can raise their hand if they need me to pop into a room so if they're having um, a technical difficulty or they're not understanding what the directions were that was, were given, or they just have a question about what they're supposed to be doing, um, they can ask for help and I can pop into those rooms in a more frequent manner. So I've done it that way. Um, but a lot of it is just me popping in and out of breakout rooms so that I can answer questions and so that I can also listen in on their conversations and, and clear up any misconceptions that may be happening as well.
2: Well, and this is something we talked about with the last guest, the Guest, so I'm kind of interested in how you're handling this, because one of the challenges that we've noticed is, and I, I don't know about Zoom, because I use Google Meet, but I think our last one used Zoom as well. You can't make those groups beforehand. So you have to make them while you're in the Meet. Um so, what strategies do you use to sort of give you time and access to create your groups when you are
1: making strategic ones, so that you know your kids aren't just sitting there waiting on you to make some groups so oftentimes I will call on someone to repeat what they are supposed to do when they get to the breakout room so as i will I will call on and I usually know who who is listening and who understands what they need to do, and I call on them to then reiterate the directions to make sure that that they are hearing it one more time as I'm making those breakout rooms. Okay,
2: Um, well, and I think we probably should have asked this first and we kind of messed up. Um, Can you describe a little bit of your schedule? Cause you know, I know like you and I were talking before we started recording and you and I have very different remote teaching schedules. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, talk a little bit about the expectations for you as a teacher teaching remotely and then kind of how you have handled scheduling and what you've made that
1: look like for your kids throughout the day. So we really tried to keep our schedule as close to what it was while they were at school. So we um, start the day out with science or social studies, depending on what unit we're in. Um, And so they have. Well, first of all, that's not true. First of all, we start with a morning meeting. And so we we kind of set up the day of what's going to happen for the day. Um, sometimes we will look at um, a picture and we do a "What do you notice? What do you wonder?" kind of activity, just kind of a sponge activity to get them started, get them ready to learn for the day. And then we go to science or social studies. They're in there for a, for about forty minutes, and then they go to specials. And so. Each of the specials teachers has a Zoom classroom as well. So they log out of my Zoom class and they log into the specials classroom. And while we were still in remote, they were in specials for two weeks solid so that there was less contact with adults and less contact with kids for those adults. So um, they are still doing a two week rotation, which has actually been really nice. I've really liked that. The kids get some consistency on what they're working on, which has been really nice. And then we take a 10-minute break when they come back from specials. Then we do writing. And so oftentimes what will happen is we do the patterns of power lesson. Then we do the being a writer lesson. And then I tell them to kind of push their computer away from them so that I can still see them on Zoom. So I can still be monitoring them. And I can ask questions or I can answer questions if they have them. But they push their computer away and they write paper pencil. And so they write paper pencil for a... At least 20 minutes, sometimes it's closer to 30. It just depends on how long our two lessons went. Um, And then we take a brain break. So we do a go noodle and they get up and they move around a little bit. And then um, we do a math lesson. And they have about a 45-minute math lesson. And during that time, some of it is direct instruction math lesson. And some of it is um, either I send home a packet of exit tickets or... Um, problem sets or whatever it is that I need them to go work on. So sometimes that's on the computer and sometimes it's paper pencil and then they have an hour lunch break and I always encourage them to go get some movement outside, eat, and then go do some movement. Then they come back and we have um, math TI time. And so during this time, oftentimes they will complete. So we do ZERN for our math lessons. And so oftentimes during this time they will complete the tower of power. And then um, sometimes an exit ticket during that time. And then if they finish all of that, then they go to ST Math, which is based on their needs. So I have um, been able to place them into where their holes are so that we're filling those holes during that time. When we were in person, um, I pulled small groups back and we were able to I was able to fill those holes that way. But since we're out of undoing remote, we've had to do some other ways to fill those holes. And so that's how we have been filling the holes. Then we take another 10 minute break. Um, they go to the bathroom, they get a drink, they get a snack, they do whatever they need to in that 10 minutes. Um, I always have a timer up on the screen screen that I have shared so they know exactly how much time they have left. And then they hear the buzzer beeping when it's over and they know that they have to come back. And they do really well with like, oh, there's the buzzer, I gotta go. And then they're right back on. So it's really good. Um, I'm sure some of the parents hate that I just let that buzzer go for a little bit because I want them all to come back. Um, I'm sure those parents that are trying to work from home and that buzzer is going off. I'm sure they are real appreciative of that. But um, it gets my kids back and, and ready to learn again. Then we do our reading lesson. So we work on wonders. And so... Um, I did send home their Wonders books with them because I didn't want them having to try to learn on the computer, like read it off of the computer. I wanted them to actually have the book in their hand. Um, after our, mat- our reading lesson, then we have reading TI time. We do a quick brain break between the reading lesson and the reading TI time. We do a brain break. And then... Um, I put them in breakout groups again, so based on whatever their group was when they were at school. So I have a comprehension group, I have a um, CLD group, and I have a SIPs group. And I put those in breakout rooms, and then I'm able to pop in and out of those breakout rooms to facilitate the learning that is happening during that time. During that time, I also have um, a special ed para that comes in to help one of my kiddos. And so she is always just in that group with them. And then I don't have to pop into that group. So it's really only two groups that I'm popping in back and forth from to um, make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to and that they don't have any questions.
2: I have a gazillion questions about that, but I'm going to start with the most recent one because it's fresh in my mind. So that's something that we haven't talked on the podcast about with anybody is Working with para's and other support staff. So, um, do you have, you know, you said that is in there with that group. Do you have some ways that you're connecting with your support staff to kind of make sure you guys are on the same page and, you know, to help them support kids in your classroom? Like, how does that, how is that working right now with being remote?
1: So, I'm really fortunate that this is the same para that I've had all year long. So, she has been seeing what I have been doing all year long with these groups. Um, She is also going to school to become a teacher and will be my student teacher in the the fall. So, um, and she's worked at our school for a long time. So she understands the demographics that I work with, which um, is a very low socioeconomic, high language needs school. And so um, she has seen previous before us going remote, she has seen what those groups look like and she has sat in on enough of the group that she helps with that she knows kind of what the expectation is so right now with that group we're reading a chapter book and they have questions that they have to answer and they get together and they have discussions and so she is the one that leads those discussions it's also at the very end of the day so when the kids all log off she stays on and her and i plan for the next day
2: um and, and I, Jessica, if you have a question, I'll let you go, too. But if you don't, I'm I'm ready with my next one. <laughs> okay, so uh, the other thing you talked about is some of that hands-on material. And I'm going to kind of address two questions that you can kind of run with. Um, the first one is you've mentioned a lot of material that you gave to your kids. So I know like as much, as soon as we knew it was remote, we had only a couple days noticed in my district. So um, any kids that were there those like last two days, like I was handed, like I made copies and I was handing them stuff. And even before that, there was, there were some materials that instead of doing like a page at a time, like I made a packet for like a whole unit. And so they already had kind of the packet that had some reading pages that I knew they were going to need and some of those materials. So I had already kind of been planning ahead. That's one way that I made sure that they had some of those materials. But I also ended up having to like stuff envelopes and send stuff home. So that first question is kind of, how did you get some of those hands-on materials to your kids? And then my second question is um, just maybe thinking about the how, the why, the when of when you have kids doing paper pencil, because you said you still send them to do like paper pencil for writing. And I certainly have plenty of times in my classroom when I'm like, paper pencil, write this down in this part of your binder. And, you know, I'm still having them do that stuff. And, you know, downside is I can't see it. So (laughs) third question that I didn't plan, how, and actually I did think of this one earlier, but I wasn't going to ask it yet, but I am I'm going to throw all three at you at once. And if you need me to go for them again, I will. Um, third question is just how do you sort of check the work or the learning that's happening with that paper pencil processing? Or, you know, just kind of how do you utilize that knowing you're not in a space where you can
1: walk over and look over their shoulder and see what's going on? It's been really hard. Um, We had one day notice that we were going remote. We found out on Thursday afternoon and we went, Friday was our last day in person. And so Thursday afternoon, we found out before the kids left. So I sent home a bunch of their stuff that day. So um, I sent home their reading books and I sent home their math book and I sent home their social studies stuff. Um, At the beginning of the year, we're an avid school. And so we were, um, we had a grant that all of the kids were given the exact same school supplies. So even those kids that came to school with school supplies, I sent it home with them. And I said, keep this at home. You already have these school supplies so that in case we have to do remote, fingers crossed, we don't have to. But if we have to, you have the materials at home, which was one of the things in the spring that was really hard because they didn't have it. My kids that I work with don't have paper and pencil laying around their house. They don't have crayons. They don't have the community I live in is very different than the community I work in. And so um, the community I live in, all of the kids here have those things at their disposal. The kids I work with don't have those things at their disposal. So that was super helpful at the beginning of the year to be able to give them a full set of school supplies. Plus I had um, gotten some monetary donations from some family and friends that those kids that didn't bring school supplies, I bought school supplies for them so that they would have them at home. The other thing was, um, that Friday that they was the last day at school, their backpacks were so heavy with everything that those poor kids, I felt sorry for them. They could barely walk. They were like holding it. And I mean, it was plumb full. And there were some that their backpacks wouldn't fit everything. So they're carrying their big old, huge packed backpack, they have stuff in their arms that they're trying to find parents to help them. And so that was really hard. Um, but I also knew, so since we had a timeline, when we went remote in the spring, we didn't have a timeline of how long they were going to be out. And so that was really hard to be able to, first of all, we were on spring break when we found out they were not coming back. So then, you know, I couldn't send anything home with them, but, um, I didn't have an ending timeline, and this time I do have an ending timeline. Like In our heads, we are thinking, okay, by January 5th, we should be back at school. We're really hoping. Um, So I, we plan, we um, backwards plan enough that I knew what needed to happen between now and January 5th, and so I could make some of those copies and send them home with the kids so that they had that kind of stuff at home. So that was your first question. Now I already forgot your second question.
2: Let's see if I can remember all my questions. So the first one was just about like how'd you get those materials home? Now mm-hmm. I do want to before I reintroduce my second question. What about did you have some kids who were absent? Because those were the ones
1: I was stuffing envelopes for. So um I had five kids that were absent that last that Friday. And so um as kids were going about the room, picking up their, their own personal stuff, we were also packing everyone else, the absent kids stuff. And then I just sent, um, I had phone called all of those families and said, you need to come to school and pick up your stuff. And all of them did, except for one who the principal then went and delivered that stuff to them. So we didn't have to send anything in the mail, which was nice. But as I walked into the office today, there's a whole line of supplies that kids have not picked up yet. Luckily, none of my kids are there, but um, the younger kids have not come to pick up their stuff yet. So I'm not sure how those teachers are being able to do all that they need to be doing.
2: Gotcha. Okay, so the second question was um, just about kind of the how, why, and when are you choosing to have kids do paper, pencil activities? And then if you want to tie it in, the third one was just about how do you interact with that as the teacher, since you can't just wander by and kind of see what's going on on their paper. How do you make use of that information or do you or when do you?
1: So the great part has been that um, this week I've got to go back to school. So I tested positive for COVID in the middle of, of November. And so then I was quarantined at the house. And so I was trying to teach from home, but I didn't have all of my stuff here. And now we are, I can go back into the school and we have Promethean boards at our school. And so I'm able to, um, most of my lessons are on, um, on active inspire. So I can share my screen and then the kids can see what I am writing and I have them take notes in whatever notebook we are working on. Um, and so then they have those notes, but then the ending the ending activity is always, they have to write something in a Google doc using those notes. So like today we did um, a compare and contrast. We did a Venn diagram yesterday and then today they were going to take that Venn diagram and they were going to make it into a compare and contrast paragraph. And so, (laughs) and so, um, then they open up the Google doc, which we practiced all school year long on those 13 weeks that we were in school. We practiced on that. Um, we did, and then they are able to open up a Google Doc and and submit that to me so that I can still see the work they are doing. I don't necessarily see the notes they're taking, but I can see the ending product to make sure that they have understood and um, comprehended what we are working on. The how, the when, and the where. So I try to balance, like, half an hour on the computer, half an hour off the computer. Um, so a lot of the work that they are doing is still in their notebook because we know that, especially for eight-year-olds, them sitting in front of a computer from eight o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon, which is what our schedule is, with an hour off in the, after, in the midday for lunch and recess, um, that's a long time for eight-year-olds to sit there. That's a long time for this however old I am to sit in front of a computer. So that is hard for them. And so I really try to balance some movement along with some computer work, paper, pencil work. So at the end of the day, we do time and text. And often we have some um, book flicks and true flicks and stuff like that, that they can access online. But most of the time I tell them, I want a book in your hand, and I want to see you reading that book because that is another way for me to ensure that they're actually doing the reading and not staring at the computer watching a YouTube video or something like that since i can't see what they're what they're actually looking at when i when i can see them doing paper pencil work or i can see them holding a book in their hand then i know that at least we're one step closer to doing what they're supposed to be doing and ensuring learning awesome
2: um, this is not something I've thought about on previous podcasts, but knowing you personally and your comments about being a however old you are person not being able to sit at your computer all day, you know, that not being nice. Um, I know you're, you know, a pretty healthy, fit person. You like to get out and be active. And I know you've been sick, but just in general, I know for me, like sitting at my computer has been um a, a strain on my spine and some of my different muscles. And so I have really made a strong habit of like getting up and doing my yoga so that I make sure things get you know loosened up and treated nicely. Um so how do you tackle that side of it, like your health and your comforts? And
1: so when I give my kids the ten minute break, I'm also taking a ten minute break, and I'm walking the halls in my school when um, my kids are doing a go noodle. I'm up doing the go noodle with them. At my lunchtime, I eat my lunch quickly, and then I go and I walk a, a outside around my school, and so I can usually get three. My school's huge, but I can get three full laps around the block in in the time, so that I'm doing that as well. Um, When I get home at night, I usually go for a walk before I start making dinner. I also have. Um, a bike, a stationary bike at my house. So if it's cold outside, I can go get on my stationary bike when I get home. Um, And today I was in a meeting after school and one of the teachers had moved, we have a fitness room at our school and she had moved one of the bikes from the fitness room into her classroom so that anytime those kids are taking a break, she can be on her bike. During the meeting, she had the computer on the little, where the books you normally go when you're working out she had her computer there and she was riding the bike the whole time that she was in the meeting with us. So I was like, that's brilliant. I'm going to move one of those down to my room too.
2: I was going to say, you're selling me on the idea of going back to school. Cause we had a bunch of bikes like stationed around our building for kids who like need movement and they could go sit and like read their book or, you know, set their Chromebook up on, you know, the little book spot and like bike. And I had a kid last year, like, Sometimes we would go and that's how we would do, like I would do little one-on-one stuff with him because that was a class period when I had a bunch of adults in the room and I had a student teacher. And so this kid was really a one-on-one kind of kid. So we'd go and we'd sit on the bikes and bike together and like go through his work. And he'd talk to me and I'd like scribe for him. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I go
1: back to work just so I can sit at the bike while I do. <laughs> well, we do have, um, so in the special ed department, we have, you know, the bikes that go underneath the desks, we have a couple of those. And our special ed teacher um, has talked about taking those out to some of the different kids that need that movement while they're working. And so she has taken some of the bikes out to some of those kids to be able to get have them move while they're working. Yeah.
2: And I also like that you're like, okay, during this break, I go do this. And during this break, I go do that because I've kind of done the same thing. I have like scheduled into my little break here are some of the ways that I you know go get myself active so like I have written in there like go play with the dogs during this session you know right. during this section of time and so you know I have some of those things um I also like one of my kind of little self-care things that I've started doing during my audio audiobooks so I go take a break and it's like fold some laundry and listen to a book and get your brain in a completely different mode, and like that's
1: that's been a big one for me. So. so I listen to audiobooks on my way to work and to and from work because it's about a 25 minute drive for me. So I listen to books on my way there. But during lunchtime, I've also started listening to my book. So while I'm eating, I'm listening to my book, and then I turn I turn it off and I completely turn my brain off while I go walk around because what I have found is oftentimes when I'm trying to listen to a book and walk at the same time, I go really slow. <laughs> Because I get so into my book that um, I'm not actually raising my heart rate at all. So um, I just leave my phone in the classroom and I go walk. And that has been a lifesaver for me.
0: What other strategies? Because I know everybody's in this survival mode. And I've heard a lot of teachers are like, I'm planning day to day But how do you manage your time so it's not, I mean, and you've talked about you're doing specific breaks, but how do you manage the planning piece and not let it spill over into your night, into your morning, into your weekend?
1: So really, the only thing I bring home are my two computers. So I have two computers. I have one that I can be doing work while the kids are on Zoom, and then the other one is for my Zoom. And so I bring my two computers home, but really, I'm only bringing them home in case I get stuck at home again. That way I have my stuff that I would possibly need. Um, but really I'm using my plan time to plan, to grade, to do all of that. And I'm not bringing work home. Um, and that has just been kind of a balance that I have had to find because I was spending hours at night and still not being caught up. And 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 so now I spend an hour on my plan time and I'm still not caught up, but it's okay. Um, I have also have given myself some permission that, that this can wait. I really need to take care of myself right now because if I'm not taking care of myself, then I'm not going to be any good to my kids. And I I realized that when I was trying to teach with COVID, I was um, teaching remotely with COVID and I was not any good to my kids. I really should have probably had a sub, but as we all know, there are no subs. (laughs) And so um, I still taught and I, and I probably was not as an effective teacher for those four days as I could have been. And so what I figured out is that I have to take care of myself if I want to be able to take care of my kids, which is oftentimes easier said than done. But I think we make ourselves a priority.
2: I agree with that. I've definitely had to step back. And I think we talked about this on two podcasts ago, just good enough. It's yeah, good enough. And even like there have been some things that I fully planned on grading, and I went, nope, delete that from the grade book. That one's not happening. Yeah, it's not worth it. Like, and and in some cases, you know, with kids being remote, like I almost just want to say, what do, like what do grades mean this year? I'm not I'm not sure they're a great measure
1: of anything right now. No, a lot, of, and especially for my kids being eight years old, technology problems are huge for them and they don't know how to solve them. And I can only do so much from school and they're at their house. I can't help them all the time solve those problems. And so a lot of it is like, well, we tried to do this. It didn't quite work. I'm not grading it because this is not a true measure of what my kids really know. And so our, my, my, my team's motto this year has become, it is what it is. So this isn't getting graded. We had every intention of grading it. We had every intention of this being really super important and being able to do this project. It, it can't happen. So it is what it is. And so that um, has kind of become our motto this year. And so when we start getting really worked up about something, one of us inevitably says, it is what it is. Like, just let it go. Um, I have a huge Disney fan on my team, and so she just keeps saying, "Just keep swimming, just keep swimming." I'm like, oh, "Okay." So she swims, I let it go. It, it is, you know.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm imagining her saying that right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, oh man! Uh, like two or three minutes ago, I had a great question for you, and I have no idea what it was now. It's what it is. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> that remote teaching brain, it just doesn't work right. Like my, my co-teacher had to tell me at the end of the day because I just couldn't like walk away from the lesson I was working on. And like, you know, she knew I was sitting there working on it because we're like sending each other emails and I can see she's on the document and then we were text messaging it each other because it's faster than the emails. And, um, you know, she's like, stop it's good because I was you know I was at the point where I was like this is not making sense anymore and you know I was falling
1: apart a little bit and she's like it's It's good we tried to take a standardized test on the computer today that was fun that was yeah we had to do some technology we had some technology issues we had some oh yeah I was and being the age that I am I'm not super computer savvy and so (laughs) I was like, I I don't know guys. We'll we'll figure this out together. Share your screen so that I can see what you're seeing and and we were able to work through those, but being able for them to share their screen is huge so that I can see what they're seeing.
2: Yes, I I will say I use that a lot. Like I had the Wednesdays we have an interesting schedule because we have meetings with the kids in the morning, but in the afternoon, like we have our adult meetings and so like all their classes are condensed and squished so that they go from like 8.30 to 11.30. And then the afternoons are meetings and planning on Wednesdays. And sometimes during that time, I, you know, I let some of the kids come meet with me. I'm like, okay, I got a little break during this time. You want to come meet with me. You can share your screen and I can troubleshoot this with you. So I do that. Today, I did something new and different. This one was kind of funny. So you guys may know Among Us is the big deal right now. And I had a couple of kids at the end of my fourth hour today say, can, can you just like open up a Google meet for us so we can play among us because, you know, she doesn't like, it's hard to do on phones and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, sure. So I gave them a little time slot. I'm like, this is your time slot between my meetings. And I just sat and I worked. You could just hear them like cracking up in the background and totally being dorky, And it was pretty funny. And every once in a while I'd pop in and say something to them and then go back to working. But it was kind of a fun way to connect with my kids a little bit silly, but most of the time I use that to like connect with kids who need help. It's and so- then I don't get my planning done because I'm busy with kids, but I feel
1: better about myself when I'm helping kids. Kids are struggling too. Kids are struggling a lot that they're not able to see their friends that, um, when we were in person, it was my 18 kids or 19 kids always together. And so then it almost became like a, a family that they would argue with each other that in ways that they wouldn't have argued with each other before this year because they know each other way too well now because they're together all the time. And so it's nice to be able to give them some of that social time too, which is what I like that soft start morning meeting for is that I can just, there are times when I'll say, I'm going to put you in breakout rooms. Just go talk about what you did this weekend and just let them have that time of being able to be an eight-year-old kid without taskmaster on their case about, you don't have this done yet. You need to get this done. Um, so that's kind of nice for them because they're struggling too. I have a, a kindergarten grandson who, um, Was exposed to COVID and so he's being quarantined and he is struggling because it's just him and his mom. And he's like, But I want to see my friends and I want to see you and I want, you know, so we have figured out how him and I can connect so that he can at least have that piece. But I think kids are struggling right now. They're really having a hard time. And we need to think about their social emotional learning as much as we are thinking about their academic learning.
2: Yep, I agree with that. Like, I, you know, one, I try to, like, have some kind of, you know, somebody would call it time-wasting, but we, you know, just chat about some silly things for the first few minutes of class. And then the thing, I don't tell kids I do this. You know, they think they're just off-task, and, you know, they think they're devious and deviance, and I, I let them enjoy that, you know, thought that they have some power. <laughs> um, but when I put them in breakout rooms, I usually give them more time than they need because then when they get their task done, they sit around and they chat. And then I pop into the room and they're like, and they get all like guilty faced. And they're like, we were
1: done. We got it all done. Don't worry. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I just sit and listen. I actually had to tell my kids because I have gone into breakout rooms where they're finished and they're just sitting there. Like just, and I said, you guys, if yeah. you're done with your work, then you can have conversations. You don't have to just sit here. Yeah. Like, and I've had a, a few groups that I've had to tell that to. I don't tell that to all of them. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. Middle school dynamics. You know, some of them are still like elementary school kids where they like need to be told it's okay. And yeah. others, it's like they need to think that like they, they really enjoy that sense of like, ooh, we're we're kind of messing around a little bit. Like it, it, it makes them feel good. So I just let them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the weird, quirky middle school kids. Um, I was thinking too. Like, speaking of that social emotional piece, do you have any silly things that have come out of this? Like, um, people won't be able to see this, but with one of my classes, and I forget what, how it started, but we're just we're just kind of goofy in general. So one kid and I, we have this thing. Like, we started like waving our arms frantically, almost like you're trying to get somebody to come help you. And we like lean back and we have these like stupid, cheesy, like super wide, fake grins on our face. And we're like, and that's our greeting. So we do this like at the beginning of class. And uh, one of the other kids filmed it. She asked for permission. And I was like, as long as it's okay with him. And so she has this little film and she just holds it up to her camera every day. And so like the whole class will just start going, okay, time for our greeting. And we all wave our arms like crazy and we smile our big silly smile. And every once in a while we do it in the middle of class. Um, And they had, you know, stuff we sent home, we had these like little three dimensional pyramid things that we were cutting out and making. But every time I was like, Okay, does everybody have their pyramid? And I would put it on my head, like it was a crown, the first few days. So now the whole class goes and they put their little pyramid on their head, like a crown. And so just like silly, ridiculous things that you do that are part of that, like letting loose and having that social emotional time. And also, there's a little bit of movement there. So you know, some
1: things that you're doing with your kids that might be so and unusual um, this week we're doing this week and next week we're doing spirit week. And so, um, today was workout clothes day, which I mean, they're pretty much in workout clothes every day. Anyway, you know, they're in sweats and a t-shirt, but, um, we, today we wore workout clothes and then we got to do our favorite exercise and lead the rest of the class in our favorite exercise. That was one of our brain breaks. Um, tomorrow is school spirit day so they're supposed to wear something that either says our the name of our school or our school colors Uh, friday they get to either bring their pet to school or bring a stuffed animal to school so they're gonna do that monday is pajama day so they're gonna wear which they wear pajamas (laughs) most of the days anyway so it's fine um but they're super fascinated if i'm going to wear pajamas to go to work and have our principal see me in my pajamas and i was like well yeah i'm going to wear my my robe and i'm going to wear my slippers and someone said aren't you you're going to wear your slippers out in the in the hallway where other people can see you i was like yeah it's fine um we're doing one day is favorite sports team day um crazy hat day is another day and then um favorite holiday so they could dress up in their halloween costume or they can dress up in Christmas stuff or whatever they want to dress up in. Um, so they've been super, that's helped them stay motivated because I was losing them at the beginning of the week. I was like, come on guys, we still have work to do. And, and so um, that has been a little bit helpful to keep them motivated so that they can continue to learn, but also take care of themselves and be excited about coming to school. You mean pet day is not every day in remote learning? Right. Well, and so they know that my dog has been really sick. And so they said, well, are you going to bring Kelso to school? And then I said, no, I don't think I can take Kelso to school. I don't think Dr. Thompson's going to like that one. I said, I'll bring a stuffed animal instead. So, but I, you know, half the time, just like your cat walked by the screen, half the time we have chihuahuas walking across and we have, Little brothers and sisters, and we, ha- you know, we have all of those things too. So yeah. today, we had a baby cousin, that I said, oh, he is so cute. Who is that? Oh, that's my baby cousin, and he joined us for third grade math today. I was like, okay.
0: <laughs> well, and you almost get to know your kids better because you can see them in their living situation, and who's around them, who's the family, and their pets that are really important to them. So that's pretty cool. Well, and it was kind of fun um, right after Thanksgiving when we came back.
1: They took their camera and they showed us their how their Christmas tree and they showed us what they had done, you know, whatever they had decorated. So that was kind of fun for them to be able to show off those kinds of things to their friends.
2: And they want to know about our lives too. Like I had kids one day. They were like, "Can we have a tour of your house?" And so, not one of my most motivated classes. So I was like. I will give you a tour of my house if we get all your work done today. And so we did. And so we took a tour of my house and it was very quick. Like,
1: Hey, here's my house. Yeah. Yeah. When I was, when I was teaching from home for that week, um, the dog would come in. In fact, he was just here a minute ago. He would come in and lay at my feet. And so there was a couple of times that I was like, look where Kelso is. And um, so they get to know you a little bit better in a different way. Than what they know you anyway.
0: Well, we've heard a lot of great strategies. I love the strategy of having kids just read and write, but you're still they're still on camera watching you. So I want to pivot a little bit now to talking about CCIRA because I know that you've been involved with CCIRA for many years. So, just kind of tell us your experience with CCIRA and kind of what it means to you, and maybe how it's influenced your teaching.
1: So, when I first started with CCIRA, I was a pretty new teacher, um, and I had a coworker that was the president of our local chapter, and she brought me in, and I attended meetings. That's how I got to know about CCIRA. It was from a from a fellow teacher, and then she put me on the board, and I was in charge of writing. Um, teacher read teacher as reader grants and actually that group that we started that year which is now in its 23rd year of existence and it's the same group of people all of them are retired I'm the only one still teaching so that's kind of fun but um everyone else is retired so I I wrote grants for uh, my local council for a long time and then I became vice president and then I became president and I was president for I think close to 15 years um either president or co-president and there were lots of different people that I was co-president with and then um, I became secretary of CCIRA and I did that, I want to say five years I think I did that for and then um, this position of state coordinator came open and I had helped a couple of different councils get started and so um, I really found that that was more my passion than taking notes (laughs) and so um, I moved into this position instead but throughout the years I have um, been responsible for planning professional development, really, for the local teachers in my district, and so that um, CCIRA has helped with that tons. Um, and just some of the different strategies, like I talked a little bit before about during our morning meeting, that I do. Uh, what do you? What do you notice? What do you wonder? That was a CCIRA from a session that I went to years and years ago. And um, I still use that strategy. Um, It's where I really learned how to do an effective turn and talk with teach my kids how to do an effective turn and talk rather than just turning and talking. Um, So there are lots of strategies that I have learned through different guest speakers or um, sessions that I have gone to at the conference that I use in my daily practice in my classroom. There's even, when my kids were little, I would come home from conference and I would be really excited and I would try something out. And My son used to say, mom, did you learn this at that thing again? Because I would turn around and try to use it on on them. And he was not always as appreciative as what I would hope he would have been. But um, my class was always super excited when I came back because I always had new books and new stories and new strategies for them when I came back and so yes they didn't like when I was gone for those three days because then they were with the sub and sometimes the sub was not stellar but they always knew that when I came back that I was going to have something for them and so um they were as motivated for me to go as I was to go
0: what are your thoughts about the 2021 virtual conference and are there any Speakers that you're excited to see.
1: So, Vanilla Roca is going to be there and she's going to be talking about Pattern Power. So, I'm super excited to see her because we use that in our There's a couple of being a writer sessions as well. So, I'm excited to go to those. I'm actually excited that it's online this year because in the past, I've always struggled with, well, I want to go to this session, but I also want to go to this session and I can't go to both. And how am I going to manage this? And, and then also, Being on the executive council, there were times that I couldn't go to a session because I was busy with my other job. And so I would miss out on some stuff Um, with us having 60 days to go back and watch absolutely everything. I'm I'm really excited that even though it's virtual and I don't get to actually see my friends and 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 be with all of these people that I have known over the years. um, I am excited that I'm going to be able to absolutely see everyone and everything that I want to. And that I can go back and look at it because sometimes you get so much information all at once that you're on information overload and then you can't remember anything anyway. And so being able to spread it out over those 60 days is is exciting for me. I'm also very excited to see Gary Brooks. He is amazing. I've seen him, I think, three times now. And, and every time he's just absolutely just hilarious. And I'm so excited to see him.
0: Molly, do you have anything else, any other questions?
2: I don't, so is it time for my, you know, final hurrah question?
0: Yes, it is.
2: <laughs> all right, Michelle. Um, thinking yeah. back over all the CCIRA conferences you've been to, can you think of like one presenter or one strategy that you have kind of taken away that has been like the most impactful on your career? So it could be a person, could be a strategy, but something from a CCIRA conference that has really influenced you as a teacher.
1: I think recently it's Tina Bugren in in taking care of ourselves and being able to realize that if we aren't taking care of ourselves, we can't take care of our kids. And so um, I've really tried to take that to heart these last couple of years after seeing her for a couple of times. Um, in fact, last year, my local council did a self-care book study that lasted the whole year because of Tina Buchren. And so i um, I just think about teaching is hard and if we don't take care of ourselves, either we're going to burn out and, and not make the career that we've always dreamed of, or we're going to half-ass it and not be a good teacher. And so I really think that Tina has made, has had a big impact on me of, Taking care of myself.
0: Well, and I think you've truly modeled that, especially going remote and being very intentional about taking breaks, getting outside, making sure you walk, having time off the computer, taking time to just listen to a book that gets your mind off of teaching also leaving work at work and being able to decompress at home too. So I think those are all great strategies that I hope other people take on because I know that everyone is stressed and in that survival mode. So thank you, Michelle, for joining us. I have enjoyed learning from you and listening to you and Molly talk back and forth about teaching strategies and it makes me excited for all the kinds of teachers that we have out there. So thanks for joining us.
2: Just just reminded me about that thing that I forgot about that I wanted to talk about before. But too late now. So now everybody can just wonder, and I'll be the only one that does (laughs) wonder. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations Podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to CCIRA.org. On CCIRA.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we also have a members-only group that we're trying to build, and our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you, and again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.